The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast, coming to you from the upper room at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Springdale, Arkansas. My name is Michael Bachlig. I am your host. And as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Subdeacon Bryce Kirk. How have things been going for you lately, my friend? Doing well, Michael. Thank God. Um, happy to be back up in the upper room. It's been a few weeks. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm ready for uh, another great podcast session and everything we're going to talk about today. I'm ready as well. So let's uh, let's get into it. We have been blessed to have some special guests with us on our last two podcast episodes. We had His Grace Bishop Nicholas on with us two episodes back. And then we had my own father, Father Timothy Bachlig, as a guest in our last episode. It was so great to be able to record those episodes in person since they were both in town visiting at our parish recently over the same weekend, too. Wouldn't you say, Bryce? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, being able to be in the same room as both of those men for multiple times during the weekend while they were visiting, being able to talk to them on this platform um, it was an absolute blessing. They both have infinite amounts of wisdom that we both can learn from and we have learned from. And I hope that, you know, those episodes as they've come out, that people have been able to really get into their, you know, mindset, kind of getting into what they believe, how they think, their experiences, all of those things. We do hope to continue having guests on with us on some of our future episodes. And ideally, we'd like to mix those episodes in here and there as those opportunities present themselves. So one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, Michael, is the value of the guests on the podcast. So we've only had a handful so far, but those have been excellent conversations. So Father Michael and Father Joseph was our first collaboration, and that was just incredible, um, being able to speak with both of those men, hearing their background, um, hearing the things that they think you know, about the current culture, about how men are in the Orthodox Church. Bishop Nicholas and Father Timothy, as we mentioned, have been great as well. And what it reminds me of as well is when we first started the YouTube channel in 2019 and, you know, I did the first couple interviews, you did a few as well. And now, I mean, you've really taken that over and being able to have that conversation and being able to learn from people. I always hear from great broadcasters or interviewers or late night talk show hosts that the ability to be a great listener does a lot for an interview, does a lot for a podcast, does a lot for anything. And so... I think with our experience here, Michael and I being able to sit, share our experiences with each other, I think has been wonderful. But having other guys on, being able to hear their experiences, the things that he and I can learn from them, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I have to add that we've received some great feedback from the episodes we've had with our guests. And for those episodes, I was really kind of taken aback in, in how impactful they were to a lot of people who have listened to it. So we want to continue to, to do that as much as possible. And we'll probably, again, we'll just try to mix those in here and there. And as we have those opportunities, we want to do our best to bring other people's perspectives in and to have other 
men share their wisdom with us, either clergy or laity. So I'm really looking forward to where we can go with this. Well, Bryce, we've already covered a lot of important topics on this podcast that are especially relevant to men. One of the common themes has been identifying what authentic manhood is, and that is clearly defined within the teachings of the Orthodox Church over the past 2,000 years. Those teachings are, of course, based on the teachings of Christ himself. I would say that we've done a pretty good job of identifying what many of the problems are that men are facing today and why so many men are confused about what authentic manhood is. That said, I think it's time that we shift the focus on what men can and should do in the midst of the chaos they are facing in the dominant culture today. As we have discussed, manhood is being defined by the culture as something very different compared to what the church teaches. For any men out there that are in a state of chaos and confusion on what it really means to be a man, the best way forward is to seek to recover one's own manhood, to literally take back what authentic manhood is from those who have hijacked the narrative. So how does one recover his own manhood? This is a topic that Father Hans Jacobsi, the spiritual advisor to the Antiochian men, has talked a lot about. You know, one thing about Father Hans, Michael, and to the audience really, is that he really gets men. He really gets how to talk to people. And me being a younger man, too, I mean, he gets the experience a lot of the time I'll be talking to him. And it's like it's like when you take a personality test and it almost hits every single point. And not that it's, you know, some type of ultra clairvoyant thing, but he understands how young men operate. And a lot of it is from, you know, Jordan Peterson lectures. A lot of it is from just kind of more traditional aspects of manhood or masculinity that have been sort of cast to the wayside or have been misinterpreted over the years. And for the most part, that's not anybody's fault. But Father Hans has really been able to show me, among others, this is a path that you go down. And he's started his own brotherhood. Um, and then the Antiochian men as well, his work there. So we've had a number of opportunities to get together with other men and learn how to be men from other men. Yeah, and that brotherhood you mentioned is called the St. Paisios Brotherhood, and they have their own website, and there's a lot of great resources on that website. I talked to Father Hans about that just a couple weeks ago, and he reminded me that that actually started before Antiochian men. So it's quite a collaboration with different clergy, and there's articles on the website and a lot of helpful stuff. Antiochianmen.org is a different website, and we came after he had started that, but uh, he has really helped a lot of men, especially young men out there. And we've drawn a lot of the content in this podcast from what Father Hans has taught us over the last few years, and we're going to continue to do that in this episode. One of the key things that Father Hans has shared with us is that the recovering of one's manhood occurs in a deepening communion with Christ. Our deepening communion with Christ requires that we conform ourselves to the image of Christ. We must reorient ourselves towards Christ so that we become like him. This means that our calling to be men requires us to apply self-discipline to ourselves and to our lives. This is how we become men of good character. You know, Bryce, there's a great quote from the legendary basketball coach John Wooden. He once said, Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. The true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. Yeah, I really like that. Um, as a matter of fact, during our prep earlier before the podcast, um, I was talking to Michael and my dad, when I was a lot younger, 
used to put John Wooden quotes in my lunchbox at school. <laughs> wow. And, um, you know, I, I do think that there's a lot of value in not putting on a performance. I think people in general, I mean, one thing I always hear from my peers, people my age, is I just want people to be real, right? And part of being real is not putting on a performance for anybody else. It's not about, you know, being concerned with how you look, being concerned with other what others think. And that's a really big issue nowadays, especially with social media. And I'm sure it's always existed to some degree, but, you know, people put on a front, people put on this image. It's a lot more intense now. Yeah. And the image can be unraveled when somebody starts pulling at the thread. Right. And we've seen that with celebrities, with high profile you know, politicians, mm -hmm. some athletes, you know, people have this facade, people have this, oh, wow, that's somebody I want to be like. And after it's unraveled, what happens? There's so many scandals now, too. All yeah. of these people that people look up to, it's like they have their their time in the limelight. And then all of a sudden a scandal just comes out of nowhere. It just seems that's becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, the actual character of your heroes or if they should be your heroes in the first place. Exactly. Yeah, and it's easy to act proper, holy, and right when everyone is looking. And you should. Those social norms are important. But character is what you do when no one is looking. And it's always in the private times when really the struggle begins and when the battle between the angel of darkness and God ultimately takes place. But we must fight those battles, and we must win them. And they can be won. I think so often we assume that because we have failed in our spiritual battles in the past, we are doomed to continue to fail in our spiritual struggles in the future. I once talked to Father Josiah Trenum about this topic. I did an interview with him for our Amen YouTube channel a couple of years ago. In fact, that video is our most popular video by far with over 14,000 views, and I would highly recommend it to anyone listening to this podcast. Father Josiah in that interview talked about the spiritual illness of Akadia which is kind of a learned helplessness. It's something that I think afflicts many men out there who are struggling against habitual sins. I do recall watching that interview um, and hearing Father Josiah talking about Akadia being like trying to kill a snake, right? And it takes a thousand hits on the head to kill this thing. Yeah. But you're 500 through and you're about to give up and you just feel helpless. And oftentimes, from what we understand, especially through our own experiences, Michael and I, is that Akadia affects those who have been isolated, mm -hmm. perhaps on purpose or just through circumstance, and they end up just paralyzed from it. And it's, it's something that's very, very difficult to come out of because you do become despondent. You do oftentimes kind of have a nihilistic approach of, well, what's the point? Right. There's nothing more than this. Exactly. And being able to solve that in some ways is to have a community of people. Right. One thing when I came to college, a lot of the people I hung out with, a lot of really good Protestant people that I was friends with, they were always emphasizing community. And I saw how their groups operated and I thought this is something that I want to be a part of. And when I came to St. Nicholas, I found it and it was finally a place that I felt like I fit in. And so the Acadia that I probably experienced in my younger years went away. But with that being said, it's not all sunshine and rainbows when you come into the church. Um, there's a quote from Father John that I've referenced on here several times is you learn that not everybody has these angel wings on all the time, that sometimes they get clipped. Yeah. And you learn that with yourself, too. You know, you learn, hey, I'm going to have to go through these challenges, but how do I get back up? I need to talk to people. 
need to reach out to people because most of your problems, and this is something that I struggle with is they're inside your head, right? And if you're with other people that you trust, that you can be vulnerable with, that you can tell them the truth, then you're in a much better position to get yourself out of those things by the grace of God. Yeah, exactly, Bryce. It, it becomes so much easier to kind of come out of that spiritual illness of Akadia when we surround ourselves with others, when we're actually engaged in a community, when we can talk to people. You know, most of, I think, that spiritual illness uh, thrives in situations where we just isolate ourselves or have been isolated. And the devil wants us to think, too, that there are some sins and some temptations that are just too powerful to overcome. He wants us to assume that just because we weren't faithful enough to overcome that sin or that temptation yesterday, that it means we won't ever be able to overcome it. That is a lie that the evil one tells us, and it is a major roadblock for men who are seeking to recover their own manhood. The way to overcome Akadia is for us to grow in our faithfulness to God. Now, fortunately, the church gives us a lot of tools to help us with this. And as we approach Great Lent, that's just coming up here in a couple of weeks, Bryce, those tools definitely come in very handy. When we step things up in our prayer life, when we follow the fasting disciplines that the church prescribes under the guidance of a spiritual father, when we give alms to the poor, and when we start attending more church services during the week, all of these things help us through the spiritual warfare that we are inevitably going to go through on our journey to the empty tomb at Pascha. So at the time of this recording, we're about to enter into the second week of the Triodian. And for those unfamiliar, the Triodian are three Sundays leading up to Great Lent. Bishop Nicholas always phrases it as, this is the time when the church tells us to wake up yeah. and to get ready. So tomorrow on Sunday is the Sunday of the prodigal son. And that's one of my favorite services of all time, just because in what we talked about with Akadia too, you know, we can give up. Mm -hmm. We can say, oh, I fell yesterday. There's no point in getting back up. Right. But much like the prodigal son, the prodigal son returns after abandoning his father. And in a way, Akadia is doing so because you're giving up and coming with humility. That's one of the virtues that we emphasize the most in the church is humility. And I think that with the experience of Great Lent, my first one in the church was revolutionary almost. So in my former confession, we celebrated Lent. We participated in it in a similar way to the, to the Roman Catholics, whereas we would have Ash Wednesday mm -hmm. signifying, you know, oh, it started. Um, we'd have things that we gave up during Lent, but the discipline that is required in Great Lent, as much as you were able, as Michael mentioned, you know, talking to your spiritual father, he, he knows your needs, yeah. right? He knows what you can handle. And being able to get yourself in that mindset saying, we're going on this journey together. It's almost like the Hobbit in a way. It's, it can be an unexpected journey if you're not entirely ready for it. But it's something that I think is a beautiful experience. And we've talked previously on, on the podcast before about Holy Week. And all the services that lead up to that. And Michael, I believe you've talked about the exhaustion at the end. Yeah. And how much that's worth. It's like doing a really taxing physical workout. Yeah. And when we when I played football, we even had hell week, right? Where yeah. it's this intense week. And it actually reminded me a little bit of some of these more intense weeks where we're, we're working out our uh, spiritual lives, really, in the church. Mm -hmm. It's just like a workout. Right, exactly. And, and with that, too, you have you had your drills that you did. 
right? Yeah. And in a way, you know, the three things that we really emphasize during the fast, I mean, as far as things that you need to do are, you know, obviously restricting dietary consumption, mm-hmm. whether that be eating less or eating different foods or whatever it may be, prayer and almsgiving, yeah. which, you know, is doing good works, right? For others. And, and you don't do one of these things without the other one because they're all there for your salvation. So it's just part of this journey. And then when you reach the end, when you see, you know, the candles, you walk in and it's dark and the priest is clothed in white and you know the tomb is empty. You know Christ has defeated death. Like that's the whole culmination of that. Yeah, it's, it becomes so more so meaningful after what you've essentially gone through. Yeah. Right? And you've and and you're supposed to grow through it. Yeah. Right. And it's it's a period that we have to spend the first three weeks of the triodian getting ready for. Yeah. Because it hits you like a freight train if you're not awake. Exactly. Yeah. And and the spiritual battles do happen and they they intensify during Great Lent. If we take these things that we've been talking about seriously, those spiritual battles are going to happen and they can become quite intense. But we must win those battles because that is how good character is forged and we become strong. And in that strength, you will be able to help others. And that's something else that I've learned, Bryce, too, is I've gone through some of these ascetical disciplines and especially during Great Lent, you know, you feel it. You feel it in your body. You feel the change, but then it also strengthens you and you can focus on serving your neighbor even more so, I think, when you're in that kind of state of mind. Father Hans has famously said that God does not want men to be wusses and that God does not want soy boys. Now, you might laugh when you hear me say that, but that is what the culture wants us to be. The culture wants us to neuter ourselves and to please the critics out there who say things like, you're not compassionate enough, but I'll let the Lord define compassion for me. Thank you. And I will let the tradition of the church define compassion. But the one thing we should not do is confuse compassion with pity. Compassion means to suffer with someone. It means that I will walk alongside someone on their road of suffering. And if you are willing to do that, something truly great can come out of it. You can help to carry other people's crosses. You really can. So in being able to help others, right? um, One thing that Father Hans always emphasizes is that you kind of learn who you are through helping other people. And part of that means, you know, bearing another's burdens. And that's a difficult thing to do. But again, anything that requires strength is probably something that's difficult. And anything that requires you to get stronger will be difficult. And so, you know, I think of some of my friends that I've had and how they've been there for me when I was struggling and how not necessarily I felt obligated to return the favor, but they needed that help. Because they needed to know that, hey, you're probably stronger than you think, which is something that Dr. Jordan Peterson says all the time, is that you're stronger than you think you are. Yeah. Because you've limited yourself. And I think in not choosing to help other people, we are limiting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're also ignoring the commandments of Christ. And so I do think that being able to just spend time with people. You know, one thing um, in my former confession that people emphasized a lot was the love languages. So one, one of these is quality time. Mm-hmm. And I think that quality time is something that you can't put a price on because just being able to sit in a room with somebody, you don't even have to say a word. I've had friends like that and that did a lot for them, you know, being able to go out and do things, being able to just give them a phone call. Hey, I'm thinking of you like those sorts of things, because 
there's a lot of value in having a personal connection with somebody, and especially in a world that has become so much more disconnected. Yeah. Despite the claims that it's become more connected. Right. Right. People have issues with talking to one another now. People have issues with being real. And people can be very dismissive too. It seems that with social media, a lot of people put a lot of stuff out there to really that tends to be kind of a cry for help, right? You see it all the time. People are going through a hard time, but it seems like people aren't as willing to, to really come alongside that person. They just do a quick social media response in their post. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, like, hey, praying for you. It's like, where's the, where's the actual action Yeah. here, right? If you, if you say something like that, you need to be genuine with it. Yeah. Not just, oh, hey, other people see me caring about this person, so I'm good to go. Yeah, or pick up the phone and call that person, right? Instead of just doing a a quick reply just so that you've checked the box, right? So that you, right. you're appearing to be uh, sympathetic. And these aren't grandiose things, right, Michael? These yeah. are these are what we may perceive to be rather small acts of kindness. Yeah. But they go a long way, you know, and, and that's, you can't run before you walk. You can't walk before you crawl. And being able to help people in as much as you were able and as much as they are willing, that's the start of something. Yeah. Yeah, and what we, we hopefully should aim for is to try to suffer alongside people because suffering alongside someone is real compassion. But what we should not do is reduce one who is suffering to a victim. And I see this a lot and it seems like it's becoming more and more common, this victim mindset, victim mentality in the culture. When we do that, what happens? What happens is we start to pity them and pity is corrosive. Now, a lot of guys these days don't have fathers. A lot of them are products of divorce, and divorce is absolutely catastrophic, especially to young men. A lot of the young men who are coming to the church today are in this boat. If you spend the time to talk to some of them and get to know them, you will see that what happened was there was a rupture in their lives that occurred because of the divorce of their parents. And that rupture, that pain, is something that contributes deeply to the dysfunction of some of these men. Now, we could see these men as victims, and if we see them as victims, what we would naturally try to do is alleviate their discomfort and their pain. Now, in past episodes, we have talked about the feminist definition of the male, and here's what it does. It sees the pain, it sees the person as a victim, and thus there is no way beyond the pain and into full growth. Yeah, this is something that I think affects everybody in Western culture, American culture. I mean, that's what you and I are the most familiar with is American culture. And every group of people, every demographic of people, men, women, whoever, I think victim mentality affects them in a way because everybody gets slighted hmm. by whatever it may be. And, oh, I'm the victim. Oh, I'm this. Oh, I'm that. And yeah. at the end of the day, perhaps there is some. And perhaps historically there has been some victimization, but that shouldn't be something that holds individuals down. Right. And I do think, again, leading back to Akadia, if you have this mentality of, I'm the victim. I'm never going to get anywhere because the system is this or whoever my parents are this. It's like you have more control over that than you think. Right. And I mean, I've fallen victim to this myself. I've gone, oh, I'm being persecuted here for whatever reason. At the end of the day, you really don't have to care. Yeah, it's making excuses and it's kind of uh, cheapening how much control you really do have. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it... I think it does something to your own worth as a person mm. because you don't see yourself as how you truly are. It's like, again, going back to Dr. Peterson, you're stronger than you think you are. 
Yeah, and another thing I wanted to mention about the feminist ideology is that it elevates maternalism, maternal love, over paternalism. Now, maternalism is a really necessary thing because maternal love focuses on the individual person. Think of the mother. For example, when a child falls off his bike and skins his knee, who does the child go to, the father or the mother? He always goes to the mother because the mother's love is able to envelop the child and gives him a feeling of security. So it is singularly focused. But you can't take that love and apply it to the problems that a teenaged or adult male experiences. If it is something that the male is dealing with in his own self-development and his own psychology, it needs to be handled differently. If it is dealt with in a soft maternal way, what it will do is it will be an overleaning compassion towards the person's pain rather than the manly approach which teaches him how to work through the circumstances that are causing the pain. And only men can do that, and that is what fatherhood is. You know, I read something recently regarding talk therapy. And talk therapy for a lot of people is, you know, obviously when they go to a therapist and they talk about their problems, and I think it's good to discuss your issues, but a lot of the time with talk therapy, it's more geared toward women for the reasons of which you've mentioned. Mm. It has the more maternal aspect to it. And that in and of itself is not bad, but with most men, they want to work through a situation. Yeah. So when people come to me asking me for advice, first of all, I don't think I'm qualified to answer those questions most of the time. But when I respond, it's usually you need to work through it this way. Mm. And when I ask questions to people too, it's you need to work through it this way. Whereas oftentimes if I'm talking to a female friend, she just wants me to listen. Mm -hmm. You know, that's fine for what it is, but being able to work through things is much different. And so when you're looking at inspiration or you're looking for mentorship or something, being able to learn from other men. So for example, in, in the Orthodox tradition, a lot of the time we do look to our spiritual fathers. You know, in, in my case, I look to the bishop. I look to our own priest here. I look to Father Hans. We look to the saints as well. Yeah, to the saints and to men in the parish, men in the diocese too, because of how interconnected the diocese is. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stories that I hear about people who came from various different backgrounds, whether they converted when they were older, when they were, or they were born into the church, whatever it may be. And so being able to see these experiences in other men and being able to relate to them in some way, and they may have gone through a similar issue. Hmm. Like for me, I'm graduating from college here with a master's degree in a few months. I don't know what's next. And if I, you know, if I wanted to be inclined to stay with when myself, I would make no attempt to try and alleviate that issue. But mm. trying to talk to other people, trying to talk to other men who've been in this position saying, hey, you're at a transition period of life. What's next? How did you do this? And that there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. And it's stabilizing, too, because if we if we just stay in our own heads, there's a lot of fears that can come in that can just make the whole situation worse. And and, and really prevent us from, again, entering into a state of growth. And we've talked a lot about the importance of fatherhood and mentoring in this podcast, and for good reasons. There's such a need right now among young men who want to be mentored. The blossoming and the flowering of young men into their own created manhood, when you come alongside them and suffer with them and give them some guidance, I'm telling you, it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling things you can ever experience. It's fatherhood. It really is. For the men who are listening, this is what you are supposed to do for others. And there is always someone younger. We have fathers and we need fathers. I don't care how old you are, you need a father. 
If you don't have a father, find a spiritual father. Ask God, say, give me someone older than me, wiser than me, more experienced that can give me direction. Yeah, I mean, like, this is so important, Michael, and I'm glad that you've talked about this because having a spiritual father, the Bishop Nicholas always says, mm. you like one of the first things he says whenever he comes to a parish or he gets on a Zoom call or whatever it may be is, you need to have a spiritual father. He said it on the podcast with us just a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of his, uh, in a way, it's his claim to fame. It's yeah. one of the things he said, <laughs> and, and there's a reason he says it. And there's a reason that we listen when he says it is because there's so much value in that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oftentimes that is a parish priest. And oftentimes, you know, it's somebody that you need to go to because they have more experience in life. Right. I talk to people who've gone to seminary after having jobs. Right. Yeah. And having a career beforehand has done a lot to equip them. Mm. And so when I think about myself, you know, being 25 years old, at the time of this recording, there's a lot that I don't know. And being able to admit that and being able to go, hey, I need to talk to somebody who knows more, who can help me figure out who I am, who can help me figure out these issues that I may be having. It's important. And being able to have spiritual brotherhood as well. Mm. Like I'm a member of a few groups of people, you know, especially the Antiochian men um, and people at our parish who, you know, have been able to really get to know these guys over the years and being able to say, hey, I'm having issues with this. Can you pray for me? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, let's hang out. Or, hey, you know, Michael, we've been, we've been talking recently about getting into helping with a local charity yeah. here in Northwest Arkansas. Like, there's a lot of value in that. And there's a lot of value being able to serve alongside people, mm -hmm. serve alongside young men at the altar, at the Channer stand. Um, I mean, with our young adult group, like, there's so much opportunity there. And not just for you, but for you to contribute as well, because there's value in what you have to say. There's value in who you are as a person. And that's something that I think you really do need to realize is that the spiritual brotherhood is just as valuable as a spiritual father, but in a different way. Yeah, that's that's well said, Bryce. And and there is always somebody younger. And I'm 41 years old and, and I don't know everything. There's a lot of things that I need help and guidance with you know we're in different seasons of life and that means that we each of us need guidance from someone who's been there before so for me that looks a little bit different but it doesn't mean that uh that i shouldn't be seeking that guidance but then what i've learned in my life i have a responsibility to really help those who are younger than me you know we're all in this together we're in a church community and there's people that are going through things that each of us may have had some experience with and if we keep that to ourselves we're not helping we're not helping each other. We're not helping our community grow. And we must seek that direction and guidance from those who are more experienced than us. Because if you don't seek that direction, what you're doing, and Father Hans has said this before, is you're stepping outside of the created order. God made it that way. The world is structured that way. And if you seek your father, whoever he may be, you're also stepping deeper into reality. And when you establish that relationship with someone, it replicates your relationship with the Heavenly Father. In establishing that kind of relationship, it allows for the grace of God to flow through it, enabling you to do good, meaningful, and enduring work in the world. And if you apply your hand to that work and you save a soul, and you contribute to the salvation of someone, to the saving of a soul, the Lord himself rejoices and the angels rejoice. And that salvation is not abstract. That salvation is concrete. 
It's the salvation of a person who is discovering who he was created to be. And that can only be discovered in relationship with each other, like we discover ourselves in relationship with God. And that's the fulfillment. That is where redemption is actualized. Our walk in and with Christ is not outside of reality. Our walk in and with Christ is actually the stepping into a deeper reality. Yeah, I mean, it's in a way, you know, it's the fullness of who you're supposed to be, right? Father Barnabas Powell, in one of his video series that we've watched here at the parish, he talks about how when he first came into orthodoxy, he's, and I'm paraphrasing, he said that he found a faith that was large enough for the breadth of the human soul, right? And in that, you know, the, I mean, the relationship with Christ is not just, you know, I love Jesus. I believe Jesus was real. Right. Right. It's it's more than that. It's finding out who you are. It's finding out how you can contribute. It's it's so much more. I mean, it's such a deep thing that you don't need science to prove. Yeah. Right. And again, that's not saying that science is bad, but it's it's concrete in reality because it's it's an experience that you're having. Yeah. And it's an experience that really has tangible dividends and not like, again, not like everything's perfect, but the more you learn, the stronger you get. It's, it's an experience that, I mean, you really have to experience for yourself. And Michael, I think I speak for both of us. We're both still experiencing that. And yeah. Perhaps we will be for the rest of our lives. God willing. Yeah, hopefully so. And, and there's so many people who are looking for authenticity in their relationships with people and to live authentic lives themselves. And to live authentically and real, to really drink in the living waters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's tangible. It's real. That is how we know we are alive. And that's where we know that the gospel, as it has been preached and revealed, is true. Nothing can militate against this, because it is the creed that has been established and ordered and created by God himself. And that is why we say no to the lies that are out there. That is why we say no more. I'm not going to diminish what God has called me to do because I might face some conflict from those who disagree, who really have another agenda. And the agenda is the destruction of the souls of men because they hate patriarchy, because they want to distort and ultimately remove the memory of God who created us, who is Father. So to all the men out there listening right now, we have to respond to this. This is why there is a crisis. And this is why also, and I have said this before, it is the Orthodox moment. One of the first things I heard when I came into Orthodoxy from our former parish priest um, was that the Orthodox Church doesn't deal in politics. We stay out of it. Obviously, individual members have their own feelings about that. Sure. Whatever. But the church exists in a way, in a plane above all of those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Dr. Peterson says that when people are exposed to political ideologies, a lot of the time they will go hard to one side or the other side. Yeah, as a reaction to yeah. one extreme, they go to the other. Yeah. Right, and and so, not to say that everybody's doing that, but especially in popular media, right, you see both sides. You see, you know, people being labeled as such. And I mean, I've, I've said this before, it's a trap to be involved in ideology because ideology has absolutes and these absolutes more than likely are probably at, at, at odds with what the church believes yeah and you know what christ teaches and so i think that falling 
for you know this or that ideology, whatever it may be, rising above it all and finding healing in Christ and in his church instead is a much more fulfilling thing. Yeah. And I think that it's much more concrete. Absolutely. And these are things that we really need to contemplate, Bryce. I'm really glad that you made that point about the church having to be separate from all those those political ideologies that are, you know, trying to create their own form of utopia on earth. And we know from history when men try to create a utopia, usually there's a lot of bloodshed. Usually there's a lot of suffering that takes place. When you try to create utopia on earth, it just it just doesn't happen. We really have to think hard about a lot of this stuff because in that contemplation and in the understanding of it all, you're going to figure out who you are and what you were put in this world to do. Nothing we do is abstract. Truth isn't contained in the words that I'm saying right now. Truth is contained in Christ. The truth is apprehended through experiential encounters with him. Then the words make sense. And I've experienced this myself. So you have to pray. You have to see Christ. You have to love your neighbor. You have to come into touch with what it means to become godlike, Because that is where your salvation lies. And your calling is to save yourself by saving your neighbor. And with the sickness of the dominant culture today, our neighbors really need us now more than ever. Yes, absolutely. Because, I mean, we mentioned before on the podcast, right? And this isn't my idea, but the church is fashioned in a way like a ship is. And you're on the open sea and, you know, there's a storm battering the sides, but the ship remains steady. Yeah. The ship doesn't take that damage. The ship protects you, protects others. And the church in and of itself is not just a building, right? It's the people. I'd like to bring up what Father Timothy Bachlig said on our last podcast episode. He said that the church is not the building per se, but the church for me as a place, as a sacred space, is the eye of the hurricane in our chaotic age. And so, first of all, that's that's almost Tolkien-esque. Yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. It's beautifully said. And so I just think that, you know, in a time where you don't know what's going on outside your front door and there's really nowhere to escape to, you know, you, you can't look to music. You can't look to TV. You can't look to movies. You can't even look to sports. Yeah. Everything has to have an agenda. Everything has to have something on top of it. Yeah. Right. And going to church is not that. And it's not even just about the building. It's about the people there. It's a place where heaven meets earth. That's the divine liturgy. Yeah. And I would highly encourage you, if you've never been to a divine liturgy, go look at this. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And it's stood the test of time much like the people have, because it hasn't swayed so easily. Yeah. There's exceptions, sure, but like, I don't know, Michael, it's it's a beautiful thing to have been able to find, and it's something that I will never take for granted again, especially after COVID. Yeah. Because there was a time when we couldn't be in church. Right. And, but it stayed. The services still happened. The worship was still done. Yeah, and what you're describing, Bryce, is really hard to put into words because as you're talking, I can see myself in the liturgy and I've experienced what you're talking about. But that's why we always tell people to come and see, right? We we say, come and see. You You have to enter into this for yourself to really see how transformational it can really be. And when you're in the ship with your brothers and sisters in Christ, right, when you're in that ship together in the church, no matter how bad the hurricane is outside, 
you know that when you're in the kingdom of God, when you're there and, and Christ is there present with you, everything's okay. Everything's going to be fine. You can find peace because you know what the ultimate goal is. You know where your city is, that you're not a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so in those moments when you're in the divine liturgy, it's a moment of just coming home for a time, coming home for long enough to recharge before you have to go back out into the hurricane again. And in thinking about how bad things have gotten culturally in the last few years, you know, it would have been different 10 or 15 years ago. It really would have been different back then because manhood was not under attack to the extent that it is today. Manhood was implicitly understood and people walked as men. Men walked as men. And younger men used to understand how to become a man and a strong man because the culture still affirmed it. So the work of the gospel would have been different, but the salvation would have been the same. But it would have been done in a different way. In our day and age, it is really to stand up against these debilitating lies that are out there that rob the young of their life and make people weak. And we can't do that anymore. We can't be wusses. We can't be soy boys, as Father Hans has said. We have to stand for the truth. And that might mean that we have to make some very difficult choices. We might need to do some things that make us uncomfortable. That might mean having difficult conversations with the people that we love. We need to ask ourselves, do we really love them? If we do, we need to love them enough to be frank and honest with them. And we need to care enough to push ourselves out of our place of comfort. Sometimes we need to push others out of their comfort zone too. That is the only way that growth and maturity can really happen. We need to be assertive. We as men need to take the initiative. That is what real men do. It is time to man up and to take responsibility for ourselves and for those we have made a commitment to. Our wives want us to be strong men. Our children need us to be strong men. And we need to stop making excuses for why we can't be strong men. Once we properly carry ourselves as men, we can teach others to do the same. They can learn from our example, and in the process of recovering our own manhood, they will grow into their manhood as well. You know, one thing, Michael, that's been on my mind recently is how difficult it has been to find a positive male role model these days. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, a great actor, bodybuilder, governor of California. He was, yeah. We all know who he is. <laughs> I don't need to explain too much to the folks about Arnold, but he always talked about when he was younger, he had great heroes. Yeah. Right. Like Muhammad Ali, Bruce Lee, all these people. And I've been looking around for the last few years. Who are my heroes in today's age? And it doesn't need to be any grandiose thing. For me, when I was young, it was my dad. It's still my dad. But in the church, there's so many heroes that I've been able to find. So many men that I've been able to see. The saints, our bishop, our priest, Father Hans, so many people. And I think that when things get tough, things become difficult, that being able to have people to talk to about that, being able to be real, to be able to find the strength, whether it be faced with a difficult decision at work, at school, in your relationships with others, be it your friend, your wife, maybe even if you have children. And it can be tempting to just go with the flow, to not rock the boat, to avoid confrontation, to be quiet, to be unassuming. But that's not how we grow. And growth does come out of adversity, and you learn a lot by being taken out of your comfort zone. 
So often we want to avoid any kind of suffering because suffering is seen as unacceptable. Suffering is seen as being bad, right? Being uncomfortable is not a position that you want to be in. But as I've mentioned before, when you're struggling under the bar at your gym, you're uncomfortable in that position. But you get it up, you rack the weight, the next day, you're stronger. And that's part of life, right? I'm a young guy, I have a lot to learn, but that's something that I've been able to take in the last few years, especially being in the church. Because it's not about taking the easy way out, it's about the struggle, it's about carrying your cross, whatever that may be. Whether it seemed like a minuscule thing or a grand thing, it's something that you need to carry. And it's not manly and it's not being strong. It's not even really being a person to try and take the easy way out. It's a weak approach to life and where you're trying to follow the path of the least resistance. And I get trying to do the easy thing, but that's not where you grow. And that's not where you find yourself. And so many people today want to find themselves. And that's one step in the right direction. We don't do the people we love any favors by having this mentality, and we don't even do ourselves any favors by having this mentality. We're more likely to stunt their growth and sabotage their ability to work through their own circumstances as well as our own. We won't be able to overcome them and won't be able to grow into God created them and ourselves to be. But this is the path that we take. Well, that's our show for today. We want to thank our listeners for joining us today for this episode of Coming Out of Chaos. Please remember to check out our website at antiochianmen.org to learn more about our organization. We also have many videos available that can be found on that website as well as on our Amen YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on any of the major podcasting platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'd also appreciate a positive review if the platform allows you to do so. Please share this podcast with your friends and help us to spread the word about it. We've already received so much great feedback, but if you would like to send us any feedback, just send an email to amendomse at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments for us. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.